Welcome to episode 161 of the Not Your Mama's Gamer podcast, a podcast where we talk about games and gaming from a feminist perspective. My name is Samantha Blackman, and I'm an associate professor here at Purdue University in West Lafayette, Indiana, where I talk about, read about, write about, dream about, amongst other things, video games, video games, video games. And I am joined tonight by two of our NYM Gamer podcast co-hosts, Alicia Carabinas and Lee Hibbard. How y'all doing tonight? Oh, mm-hmm. um, yeah. I, I sent some salt. <laughs> I sent some salt in the air. <laughs> it's just Thursday. I'm tired when it's Thursday. I'm exhausted when it's Thursday. I feel you. (laughs) I absolutely feel you. I had to make coffee to do the podcast because I'm like, otherwise I'm going to be sitting there drooling on my mic sleep. (laughs) I thought about it. I considered it also. I have two beverages. We'll talk about those in a minute. (laughs) Um, Why is Thursday got to be so Thursday? Thursday is real Thursday this week, too. Mm -hmm. So I feel you. All right, let's talk about who we are. Alicia, who are you, darling? An asshole. Well, we know that much. <laughs> Other than being an asshole, who are you? <laughs> I'm Alicia Carabinas. I'm a PhD student at Purdue University, where I live to irritate Sam. Uh, and I have a lot of feelings about our topic tonight, as you will see very soon. Well, you are super successful at that irritating part. All right. Uh, it's good to be good at something. Yay. I got skills that do not, however, pay my bills. I was going to turn that into the Grease song that I got skills. They're multiplying. (laughs) Um, See, but every time, see, Grease was a big part of my childhood because my cousin loved that movie. So we went to the, we went to the movies every weekend and we would watch that movie again and again and again. Um, because she loved it so much. But then as I got older, like old enough, and I went back and was like listening to, they were actually playing the Grease soundtrack on like the Kids Place Live channel on satellite radio. And that was when I realized that a lot of those songs were rapey as fuck. Yes. Can I tell you something? Because I've got a story here. Because, okay, with the important background context that I went to middle and high school for the most part, in England when I was living there. When I was in eighth grade, our school decided it would be an awesome idea to put on a production of Grease. And I was in that cast. So I know that Singing entire the movie. Songs. Uh-huh. Inside Out Backwards, I know that entire movie. I hate it. Oh my god. It gives me horrible flashbacks. Yeah, I was like, this is horrible. I mean, you know, yeah, those are just, it's just date rape music. That's exactly what that is. I had a long conversation with some folks today. Well, a short conversation because then I tapped out. Um, About the persistence of certain types of bullshit in media. Mm -hmm. And 
I found myself losing patience very quickly today with this conversation because, I'm just going to say it straight out, we need to stop celebrating media that confirms hatred, that supports hatred, that promotes hatred, because that shit gets people killed. Yeah. So I, I, don't, I don't have any fucking patience for your problematic mm-hmm. faves. Not yours. In general. <laughs> I was I'm like, done. I'm done today. Yeah, I'm. I'm with you on that today. I'm with you on that today. All right. Well, we Lee, we didn't even talk about who you are, darling. Who right, are Lee. You? Who are you, dear? Mm-hmm. We broke Lee. Mm-hmm. Lee. <laughs> <laughs> who am I? Briefly. <laughs> Let me jump in. Uh, I am Lee Hibbard. I am also a PhD student at Purdue, where my job mostly consists of getting Sam coffee. <laughs> oh, that's your job this year. Yep. Every <laughs> every Tuesday, Thursday. <laughs> Almost every Tuesday, Thursday. Some days I don't have time, and but I just send her a message like, coffee? You, I was going to say, you didn't get me coffee today, and I it's didn't because get I coffee. was teaching. I was teaching, oh, and I was running late, and I was like, I'm not going to have time. Ah. I felt terrible about it, mostly because then yeah. I didn't have coffee. I was going to say, I didn't get any coffee today. Yeah. I, I was real yeah. sad. My students wanted to, like, actually learn and stuff. Well, tell them my coffee is real important. Just <laughs> so you know. Just damn. <laughs> Learning? I'm That's not kidding. what you're here for. <laughs> it's all about Sam's coffee. <laughs> Don't forget that. I'm kidding. <laughs> all right. So now that we all know who we are, let's jump into we, the... Do we know? What you, do we know? I'm old. I know who I am. Like I said, I am surly. I'm petty. I'm evil. I'm snarky. I'm all those things. I know exactly who I am. All right. So <laughs> let's jump into what you're playing, what you're reading, and what you're drinking. Those are all important questions. Um, and uh, Alicia, we'll start with you. What you playing, darling? Stardew Valley, like right now. Like literally right now. <laughs> Wait, we we had this conversation before we started about the Stardew Valley. All right, you told me to stop, didn't you? Yeah, I did. <laughs> How's that working out for you? <laughs> Apparently, not too well. Uh, at least you know your limitations. Uh, <laughs> I've also been playing a whole lot of Fortnite Battle Royale, and I'm very angry with you, Sam. Why? Um, because you got me on this thing that I should not like, but that I like. So. Oh my God, it's so good, isn't it's, it? Though it's really fun, and what's nice about it is you, even though it takes a minute for like Fortnite is the slowest damn loading game. I swear. Yeah, it is. It takes like I age a year waiting for that shit to load on my Xbox. Um, then you know you just bop in, you play a game. It, it takes you know at most. With waiting for the queue and getting everything started, you're looking at like 30 minutes, maybe 45 if you like slow, slow. But I don't even think it takes that long. I've never timed it. I was going to say, yeah, about 20 minutes, yeah. Yeah, and and you can do like two or three and then you are you feel happy. You've accomplished something. Um, you had at least one really bad luck session and you swore a lot uh, because you went to three buildings and there were no weapons. You had one pretty good one, yeah. but then you watched somebody terrible win. And then you have one where you finish like, you know four, five, three, somewhere in there, and then you feel good about yourself, and you can stop, and it's done. Uh, but at the same <laughs> time, as, you know, we learned this week, those kinds of experiences are 
maybe going to start killing some of the better parts of the industry. That sucks. So I'm, I'm angry with you for getting me on this. How dare <laughs> I'm you? I'm sorry. But I'll always play with you. Oh, yeah. I know you will. <laughs> By play with me, sometimes she means accidentally shoot me in the head. Oh, that's just some fun. Thanks, or buddy. Or blow you up with a grenade. Thanks, buddy. Appreciate well, you. it's good to know that the grenade. So Alicia and I played. What was that last Friday? Mm-hmm. And I killed her twice by mistake. The first time I because there is friendly fire. Watch out for that. There is friendly fire. So, but she was in the middle of a of a firefight anyway, and so I was trying like to help her. Like this makes it okay. And she ran in front of my gun. Oh, don't help me. <laughs> she ran in front of my gun. Oh, and man. she died. This is some victim blaming bullshit. (laughs) (laughs) She was going to die anyway. But I'm just playing. Damn. And then the second time, we were trying to get out um, out of an attic because some folks were coming up. We were like, okay, we need to run for the next circle. And... I meant to pull out my pe- my pickaxe and use it, and instead I threw a grenade, <laughs> and it blew us both up. And so the other part of this story is that at one point, somebody who had the same skin as Sam ran up on me and started swinging their pickaxe, and I literally just thought it was Sam dicking around. <laughs> so I didn't do anything. Until I realized eventually that no, this was someone actually trying to kill me with malicious intent. But I just thought it was Sam being Sam. Sorry. So in reality, she has killed me more often. Uh uh. Uh uh. You can't blame me for that last one. Oh, oh, but I can, and I do, and I will. Fine. Uh, other than that, I've been playing some Overwatch. Um, but, you know, every time they take away Mayhem for other events, it just gets less fun. I really like Mayhem. I How are you liking... Are you time. playing uh, Junkus Things Revenge? I did it a couple of times. Um, it, it just feels like it, it takes longer than a regular match. It's super long. And... Uh, and, you know, it's it's great if you have people who are capable of understanding how things work. And if you don't, it's super frustrating. Uh-huh. So, uh, you know, I did a few. Um, yeah, and you can only be, like, one of four characters. You can only be, what is it, McCree? Yeah. Soldier 76? But then there's the other one. There's the Endless, where you can be uh, Torbjorn. So you know how I feel about that. Um, and I've just, I've, yeah, I've just been playing uh, the Grillmaster. Uh Oh, right, because you got the grill master's degree. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) So that doesn't bother me. Well, see, none of those are my usual characters to play with. Well, you're going to have to get good. Well, I was going to say, what it it has forced me to do play is to learn to play McCree. Yeah, oh, man, McCree's the worst. What's wrong? (laughs) Well, I would actually like to to play Soldier, but uh, the folks that I've been playing with... um, one of them does best with soldier, so I I've sacrificed myself. I do really and enjoy. I, their, I can't be good mercy. Their patter while they're doing the thing, like the the dialogue. Uh, mm-hmm. Found out that Soldier seventy six is from Bloomington. Oh, that was a delightful surprise. Yeah, yeah, we were talking about that around uh, around the house. I was like, oh, hey, you just said he was from Bloomington. <laughs> and, uh, we thought that was pretty funny. Um, yeah, unexpected. 
but after the first couple of times, you know, I mean, the, the fact that it's like a, an old-timey horror movie is great and everything, but after the first couple of times, it's just like, okay. And anything else? No? Okay. And we're done. Well, so. I'm just mad that there are no uh, Halloween diva skins. Yeah, man, where's the new Lucio skin? Can we get one that doesn't look like a fucking frog? That would be nice. Yeah, no no new Lucio skin, no Halloween Lucio skin, no Halloween Diva skin. Um no Halloween Tracer skin. What? Tracer's nope. got tons of like offbeat skins, so I do like Zarya's new one. The eighties. The eighties, uh Jane Fonda, let's get physical. Yes. <laughs> that one's pretty funny. So I don't even know why I'm playing, other than the fact that I don't know. Um, Because the uh, only skins I would really want would be a diva skin. No, I want the new skins pretty well. Um, And I'm also going to pick up, well, it's on sale, Mercy's Witch skin. Um, See, I never play Mercy, but that is a sweet skin. Mm -hmm. I I do play Mercy sometimes, and it is a pretty pretty good skin. It's one of my favorite in the game. So now that it's it's for sale, I'm going to buy it. I've got... We've been saving coins since the end of the Summer Games event, so I'm going to be able to get everything I want by the end. Yay. But I also have, I'm sorry, Lee, I'm taking up all the space talking about games, but I have a delightful story about my class today. Mm -hmm. Hey. Thinking about the games that we are playing right now. Uh, We're talking about argumentation, so I had my students uh, play the beginning of Depression Quest. Ooh. Uh, just so that I could, we could get to the point where they're, they're getting the mechanics where things are, are crossed off, you know, and you can't select certain options. And so I stopped them uh, so that I could ask them what argument the game is making and how it's using the interface to make it. But it took me a few minutes because no one wanted to stop playing Depression Quest. <laughs> <laughs> huh. like, but wait, wait a minute. I'm like, no, we need to do stuff. <laughs> they were like, but, but we're playing a game. And they, but they were really into it, and they wanted to talk about you know the game itself, and 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 more than just the, the questions that I wanted, which was good. So it was a it was a good effective example. But by the end of class, they got me to agree to make them a list of similar games. Um, nice, yeah. So you know this is this is the third or fourth game that we we played in the classroom. This was the first one that they've like really jumped on, and of all the things <laughs> that that surprised me, it's like okay, good. So Ooh, that's good. Depression quest today out here evangelizing for uh, games with fascinating interfaces. Nice. So, because have we played her story with them yet? Yeah, we did that earlier. Um, Lee, mm-hmm. went, he came came on that trip with us this year. Yes, I did. Doing that. That's good times. It was a good time. I got some really good uh, interface and design reports from my students. Most of them were just like VR obsessed, so that's probably why. <laughs> Uh-huh. And nice. uh, Bianca and I will be at the symposium in Ball State in two weeks to talk about teaching her story for the past two years. Awesome. Nice. Maybe Bianca will have a voice by then. I hope mm-hmm. so. Poor Bianca. We're thinking Honestly. of you. And we love you. Get your shit together. Get <laughs> good. I saw her this morning and she was just like, she was just horribly froggy. Mm hmm. Just oh, horribly froggy. Yep. All right. So I'm that. That's it. Those are the things that I've been playing. Yeah. 
Lee, what about you? What you playing, darling? Uh, mostly Stardew Valley 24-7. I have serious <laughs> problems. Still, I just... I have to go back to the farm. The farm is life. The farm is comfortable and calm. And not I started so stressful. something. You started we something? Started, we started <laughs> talking about it in class, and then everybody started playing again. Mm-hmm. That's true. Yeah, in class today, and you're... Your sweet daughter is sitting there with her Switch playing Stardew Valley. And I was just like, yes. I know. She got a Stardew Valley monkey on her back now, too. (laughs) It will never end. She's doomed. What have you done to everyone? I know. It's terrible. The the funny thing is, is right, since I've been streaming Stardew Valley Mm. on, on, on Mixer, and now I've got like... A bunch of people on Mixer streaming. <laughs> like they won't, they don't stream it regularly. But people will like, like my friends who like are like hanging, or people that are hanging in, in my chat when I'm playing that also stream. They're starting to stream Stardew Valley. <laughs> I'm like, we just go have a whole bunch of people on Mixer streaming Stardew Valley, and I keep making a joke about becoming Mixer's premier Stardew Valley streamer. Uh-uh. <laughs> Because I'm going to stream all the Stardew Valleys. Do it. And when multiplayer comes out, oh. I might not play anything else. When multiplayer yeah, comes out, be, I'm doomed. It's going to be a time. <laughs> I'll, be, I'll be here with you guys. We'll all just be playing Stardew Valley forever. Stardew Valley. Mm. Well, when the rest of the world is burning, we have to at least have our own little microcosms of <laughs> drama. Call Stardew Valley. So one of my obsessions ever since I got like the catalog is to go through like fourteen different versions of ways I can decorate a single room in my house, and then I look up and it's like seven thirty in the evening, <laughs> and I haven't done anything on my farm. I'm like, oh crap! Now all my chickens gonna be mad. All my vegetables yeah. gonna be dead. Everything is dead. Whoops. Yep. <laughs> but your house looks beautiful. Get good, Alicia. Get good. <laughs> so. <clears throat> Here's the thing. So the, there's an update. So just for people who didn't know this yet, there an update came out for the Switch today. Now we're going to be able to transfer saves and profiles from Switch to Switch. Ooh. So if Santa does bring my kid her own Switch so she can get up off my shit, um, <laughs> I will be able to transfer her saves and she won't have to restart all her games. Or I can transfer my saves and either way. Um, we'll be able to transfer saves and profiles off of one I'm machine. To decide if you're a good parent or a spoiler. <laughs> Why do you say that? I can't decide. I don't know. It's, one of it's not like I'm things. going out and buying it now. I'm saving it for Christmas. Yeah. In we'll my see. defense. We'll see. <laughs> Whatever. <laughs> um. So. Uh, Lee, you, you're playing Stardew 24 7. Just about. Well, I'm also just about. playing Stardew. Yeah. <laughs> I'm also playing Stardew. You playing anything else? Uh, mostly just silly games on my phone that I play in bed. I started playing Neko Atsumi again. Oh, no, why? Why would you do that to yourself? Because my boyfriend got a new phone and now he can put more than three apps on it and he was playing it. And I went down to visit him two weeks ago and he was like, look at my cats. And I went, shit, I forgot how much I love this game. No. Help. <laughs> send help. Oh, God, I'm so sorry. It's terrible. So, sorry. We send each other screenshots of our little cat yards. It's disgusting. Aww. Oh, no. Help. Yeah. <laughs> Basically, yeah. help. Ripley. Rip. Yep. Um, 
So I've been playing Stardew. I've also been playing Overwatch because I've been playing Drunken Stein's Revenge. Um, I have been playing Fortnite Battle Royale because I have a Fortnite Battle Royale monkey on my back as well. I have ga- different games that I have to play when I'm in different moods. Um, Battle Royale is like the perfect game for me to play on Fridays because I've had a whole week of being pissed off and I just need to shoot stuff or um, or just sit up and talk shit with Alicia, which is what happens on Friday nights because she's been streaming Battle Royale with me on Fridays. Don't tell anybody. It's my secret shame. Okay. I won't tell. She's not streaming uh, Battle Royale with me on Fridays at 10 Eastern Standard Time on Mixer. Um, so... Uh, <laughs> I love you, Alicia. I know. Um, but I've also started playing Minecraft again. Huh. Um, God, why? What is, what is wrong with you guys and your life choices? It's, it's, it's okay, so it's... She I, says, I, continuing to play Stardew Valley. Right. It, uh, but you know what all, what all these games have in common? Is they have a meditative aspect. Um, I'm not playing any games that have like big storylines right now because I need something to just kind of zone out on. So Stardew, I can just go and mine and it's like thunk, 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 thunk. I can go and cut down trees because I started new farms. So I got a whole lot of like clearing and mining to do. And that shit is so calming to me. Um, Come and fix my damn fence. (laughs) Hardwood. (laughs) I was gonna say I happily. I wish we had multiplayer because I got tons of hardwood. Um, let's see. Uh, so in Minecraft, I've been playing Minecraft again because I've been playing Minecraft with my kiddo. Um, and I played like half an hour of Layers of Fear because I wanted to to play a, a game that was a little bit scary, but it wasn't scary. So I like played a half an hour, and then I was like, "Yeah, no, okay." It's just I'm kind of gross. Um, other people were like, it gets scary after this point. And I was like, yeah, no, no. Um, I played a little bit of Halo 5 uh, with some friends just for fun. And that was about it. Do you have fun playing that game? Um, I have fun playing with people when I play that game. I don't have fun playing that game. I'm not, I'm, you know, I'm not a Halo. I'd rather play Destiny than Halo any day of the week. Um. But I have one friend who's not playing Destiny. I have one friend who's not playing Destiny 2. Two, if I count you, Alicia. I was about to say, I'm also not playing the Destiny. Yeah, I was going to say. But, um, so I've been playing Halo 5 so I can play with her. Um, But that's just like an occasional thing. And that's basically what I play. I haven't played played anything new. Even though I've been streaming, I'm like, I'm not starting any new games. Because next week, um, I almost weeped. Weeped, wept. I'm gonna blame it on the bourbon. I almost wept <laughs> this week. I came home one day and I was checking my email, and um, Microsoft sent me all my receipts because <laughs> all the games that I pre-ordered that are coming out next week all hit at one time. <laughs> oh no! Uh oh. Yeah, yeah. Because I was because I I know rip because I pre <laughs> no shit, and I was like, oh damn, that hurt. Um. So I pre-ordered Assassin's Creed, Wolfenstein 2. Um, they also built me already for The Sims 4 and Super Lucky's Tale, and those don't come out until the week after. 
Um, so they billed me for four games all at one time. Luckily, I had fake Microsoft money in my account. Otherwise, I'd have been mad. I'm mad right now. <laughs> I want fake Microsoft money. Fake Microsoft money. It I don't came think... from real money. It's really just real I know. It's I not. Know. It's not. Don't say that. It's fake Microsoft money. Let me live my life. I will not <laughs> let you live your life. Let me live my life. No. <laughs> I'm trying to help you here for you. So next week I'm gonna be playing a whole bunch of stuff. Oh, and I'm gonna play, and I'm getting unlike um, all the other the, weeks in which she only plays five or six different things. Well, I'm gonna be playing a bunch of new stuff next week. Oh, I see. Um, and I'm also gonna be playing um, the new Super Mario Odyssey next week because that comes out next week too. Yeah, on the 27th we got like three big titles launching all on the same day. Welcome to fall. Mm. I know. Well, you just got shit dropping all over the place. Um, well, that'll be and that'll be fun. But since I'm since I'm streaming, I play a lot more. I play a lot of different games during the week because uh, I don't want to play the same game when I stream. Um, even though I did do a creative stream and worked on cross stitch this week because I didn't I didn't feel like I didn't feel like starting a new game and I didn't feel like playing any of the old ones. So I did cross stitch. But anyway. Because I'm old. Um, Apparently. Okay. I am an old... <laughs> I'm an old white woman in the 1920s. That's interesting. <laughs> I have traveled back in time. And lost all your melanin. And lost all my melanin. <laughs> okay. You ignorant. Alright. <laughs> come out of this conversation and I am the ignorant one. I don't know. You tell me. Alright, so how about reading? Is anybody reading anything interesting? Uh, no. No, not really. <laughs> not anything that would be relevant for this. Yeah, mostly just stuff for class. Fan fiction, the usual. Fan fiction, the usual. Well, okay, so I have I've been listening to something um, cause I thought P would like it. Uh, the, it's a YA novel, Esperanza Rising. Mm-hmm. Um, it had won like some, uh, some, uh, some of the YA, um, lit awards. I want to say it may have won a, what did it win? I have to look. I can't remember it. Anyway. So, um, I bought the audio book and I was like, cause I want, I would, like to be able to listen to this with her right and we were listening to it and she was like can we turn this off and i'm like why she was like somebody just died and i was like yeah she was like who would want to listen to something that's sad and somebody just died and i was like oh that was pretty stupid because the the whole thing of the is that uh esperanza's father dies um and that is what precipitates uh a change in her, in her life, uh, and her kind of, uh, economic condition as well. Um, and so, you know, I was like, Oh, that was stupid. That was stupid, Samantha. Thanks. Thanks for depressing your kid. So I was like, I'm sorry, let's turn this off and listen to some like ridiculous shit. So we started listening to, uh, 
Dr. Libris's library. No, Dr. Libris's island again. Same dude who wrote uh, Mr. Limoncello's library and the library Olympics where all the shit comes to life when you read a book. Yes. And that was much better, apparently, than Esperanza's father getting killed by bandits. Well, yes, on many levels. That is, <laughs> yeah. that is in mm-hmm. fact, better. <laughs> So I did some horror. I made horrible parenting decisions with some literature this week, and yeah. Yep. Sometimes you just got to make bad decisions. Apparently, apparently. All right. So let's get to the fun part. Who's drinking what? Alicia, what you <laughs> drinking this week? You drinking some of the concoction you did made up this week? Nope. They had the triple tail, uh, tropical IPA again at the store this week. So Ooh. I'm drinking the triple tail. Of course you are. It was not as cold as I would like, but I'm drinking it anyway mm-hmm. because some things are worth suffering for. Yeah. Triple tail would be one of them. Mm-hmm. What about you, Lee? Uh, I'm over in Liquor Town. <laughs> yeah. Close cousin to wine country. Um, I just have some, some vodka and some tropical fruit juice in a mug like a classy man. I like that. Tropical fruit juice and vodka. Okay. <laughs> well, I've been I've been on a bourbon kick for a while, I guess. Uh I've been drinking lots of bourbon. Um so I'm drinking bourbon. Um and uh I didn't want to drink I'm not drinking straight bourbon, of course, or bourbon. I've been drinking uh bourbon with a little sour mix. Um, and I had bought like some regular old commercial sour mix from the store. And I noticed that like all the sour mix at the store now, even the ones that used to be decent, now have this weird, cloyingly sweet yeah, they're all terrible. aftertaste because they're using artificial sweetener in all of them now. Yep. Um, so I had to go out and find a fancy sweet and sour mix that yep. didn't have... And that shit's expensive. It costs almost as much as the bourbon. <laughs> so I found one that was pretty good. It's a, what was it? It was like uh Powell and Mahoney or something like that. Um, they're sweet and sour mix. So I'm drinking that with a, uh, with the bourbon and it's pretty, it's pretty nice. I put a little too much bourbon in it. So if I'm uh and it's a big glass. So if I'm a little tipsy, and like slurring my words in a little while, you'll know why. <laughs> but yeah, like, that's oh. why I don't drink a lot of um, sour mixes anymore. Mm-hmm. For that reason, it's just impossible to find anything that's decent. And then you got to take the time to make shit yourself. I've been craving margaritas recently, but mm-hmm. you know, try to get anything that's decent for that without you know making it yourself. Good luck. Yeah, I want to say that the, the bottle of sour mix itself was like almost 10 bucks. Because it's like one of the artisanal ones, right? Where it's like it's like made with real fruit juice and real sugar. I'm like, maybe I should just be making this shit with real fruit juice and real sugar at my house. <laughs> <laughs> For this much money. <clears throat> but me knowing how to make, me knowing how to like make sour mix well would be really dangerous because I would never have excuse not to drink bourbon. Right. Mm-hmm. That would be a problem. So some Make things are best cheese. and I'm drinking coffee because like I said, I didn't want to be like fall asleep and be drooling on my mic. 
We'll be talking tonight. <laughs> you know what? Don't get me, don't don't tempt me because my switch is like two feet away from me. Um, okay, so let me just tell you this: I started uh, two new farms on on the switch. One that's just for streaming, um, and then a second one that's just for me. And the one that's just for me, um, the name of my farm is, of course, Miss Andrea. Um, and on the first one, the one that I'm streaming, um, it's got a, like a real, it's got a, a farm name that's got something to do with like mixer or streaming or something. And they were like, what's your favorite thing? And I put Miss Andrea. So therefore, <laughs> when I, when I eat the, what is it? It's not star fruit. It's the, the fruit that gives you like more life. This is funny, right? The fruit that gives you like more life, more HP, mm-hmm. is gonna say, mm, "It tastes like misandry." <laughs> uh, good times. What does misandry taste like? I wonder. It's fucking delicious. <laughs> kind of sweet, kind of sour, but also oh refreshing. Is exactly what that shit tastes like. <laughs> I'm a horrible human being. <laughs> all right. So now that we've talked about all the important stuff, we can go home. Are you making <laughs> wine? No, I'm kidding. No. We're not talking about making wine. What we are talking about uh, is an article that appeared in uh, the Chronicle of Higher Ed. Uh, when did it appear? Uh, September 26th uh, by Hannah McGregor. It's called Podcasting in Plain Sight. Um, and it's, it's interesting because she has written an article for the Chronicle that is about something we've talked about. Uh, we've talked about a number of times. I know on the, on the, on the site we've written stuff about. And that's about um, getting work that is non-traditional in the sense of not being the, you know, the single authored monograph (laughs) or being about, you know, specific subject matter like, you know, Milton or Shakespeare or, you know, Plato or Cicero or any of those dead white motherfuckers. Um, But getting that kind of work, not, not only noticed, but appreciated and accepted as being academic in nature, because McGregor does a podcast about Harry Potter, (laughs) of all things. Um, And it's called, I was, Witch Please. Witch Please. I know it's hilarious when I read that and I was like, (laughs) ooh, that's so cute. Um, It's called Witch Please. Uh, so we thought it would be interesting to to talk about um, the article and to talk about our own uh, struggles, shall we say? <laughs> we, we have some of us have had real struggles and struggled mightily. Some of us are still struggling. Uh-huh. So we might have some feels, but to talk about uh, you know what it feels like to do game studies as an academic. And do game studies and produce scholarship that's non-traditional and get that shit accepted. So that's what we're going to talk about this week. Uh, Anybody want to start? Throw that out there like that. 
if she can stop clicking and making wine, she might start. No, I was going to wait. <laughs> okay, you can wait. I, wait. I just want you to know I hear every click of your mouth as you're well, making wine. I am about to stop clicking because I'm going to go back to the article. So there you go. There we go. <laughs> Um, I think it's interesting, right? Because like I said, she is um, a fairly, uh, she's fairly new to the professoriate. Um, and I don't, I was trying to see, I was going to go look and see. I don't know how often their podcast comes out, but they're only like 50 episodes in. I say only because, you know, we're 160, this is 161 in, <laughs> right? Um but then at the same time, I started to think, because she's, like I said, she's new to the professory. She's junior faculty. Um, and we're talking, you know, 2017, right, when she's writing this. Um, I don't know that if in 2000, when I was new to the professory, right, if I was new tenure track faculty, I don't know if if I would have had the nerve at that point to say, I'm going to do a podcast and ask that that be recognized as my scholarship. See, because it's 17 years later, I'm tenured and it's still a struggle to get people to recognize the work that I do as being academic. Right. In any way, shape or form. Right. Because and then I get really angry sometimes (laughs) Because I'm like, really? I'm like, all of four people read your last book. <laughs> all of four. And one of them was your mama. Uh, <laughs> so, Let's be real. People only read about a third of those books. Right. right. Unless they assigned it to their classes. Right. Then the students read them. Exactly. Or, or, or bought them. Mm-hmm. Let's say that. They bought them. They might not have read them. <laughs> um, so, you know, I think we, what we need to do is we need to start talking about, you know, because we talk way too much about impact factors of journals and blah, blah, blah. What we really need to be talking about is reach. I think it, I think the game would change if we started talking about reach. You know, how many people reach? How many people do you reach? Right. How many people read your stuff? Um, not just do you get your friends to cite it? Right. Yeah. Do you I mean, I mean, because seriously, when you look at the cost of some of these these single author monographs these days, honest to God, when you're talking two hundred dollars, one hundred and fifty dollars a piece for these academic books. I know I got friends that come up with these books. I ain't buying them. I'm not. I'm sorry. I'm a single mother. I'm broke as fuck. I am not paying one hundred and fifty dollars for your book. I'm making book lists right now for my dissertation and it makes me want to die. Like just die. Yeah. Yeah. I, I, I cannot, I mean, it, so shouldn't, it shouldn't cost me a thousand dollars or hours arguing on the phone with the inter, interlibrary loan to write my dissertation. Well, because those, those books, like I said, are ridiculously expensive. And I'm Why? living in an area that doesn't have a whole lot of literature about it. I've read almost everything already that's been done on it. And still, it's, it's like so much money. But, you know, the big question is why are they so expensive? They're so expensive because they know nobody's, nobody's, nobody's right. buying them. 
Nobody's buying them. Nobody's reading them unless they come from the library because people are not going to spend $200 for a book because you know what? You can't read one book and write an article. You can't read one book and write a book. You've got to get multiples of things. So they're not buying them. The libraries are buying them. If anything. Yep. So, you know, you, you, people buy books that cost way too much and use them to write other books that nobody's also going to read. I'm just jaded and I'm angry and I'm cranky today for a number of reasons, but I'm, 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 I'm tired. I'm tired of people not paying attention to good work that gets done in an area because it's not considered, you know, real scholarship. Right. And, and McGregor makes a good point in the article when she starts talking about the fact that, how does she put it? Um, when she's talking, she's talking about grad students. She says, observing those students, we saw unaccountable feelings of conf- confusion, inhibition, and loss. Um, they had identified something broken, dead, or mean in contemporary academic criticism, she wrote. Uh, but either they couldn't articulate it or they feared saying it out loud would damage their career uh, prospects in academe. So, you know, when we start talking about, one, what students are interested in, um, and two, what they're afraid to speak out against for fear of their own careers. That's absolutely ridiculous. So we got to we got to students got to keep, you know, writing about, uh, you know, the character of the devil of Satan in Paradise Lost over and over again in order to make it in the academy rather than being able to talk about or to research you know, the character of the devil in graphic novels or the character of the devil in anime or whatever we're talking about. I mean, that's ridiculous, right? If we have to restrict the work that people do because it's not considered real scholarship. And so often people self-restrict their work, right? Yes. People will come into school excited about working on this or that. And, you know, over time get ground down well that's interesting but what if you wrote about this instead that's interesting is something i've heard a lot um Mm -hmm. and uh i know what it means we all know what it means less interesting the it doesn't mean it's less interesting or more interesting it just means it's what i'm interested in Mm -hmm. but it (laughs) starts to become code for that's cute but once you grow up maybe you'll write about this instead yeah yeah I'm like, you know what? I am grown. (laughs) (laughs) And uh, I have ideas about impact and reach. And that's why I study video games. It is such a far-reaching form of media uh, with so much impact. Yeah. I I think Mm -hmm. it's deeply important that we interrogate the structures uh, and who creates the structures in video games. And, you know... I'm not going to stop doing that because other people aren't into it. <laughs> if I was going to stop doing things because other people weren't into them, I wouldn't do anything that I do. I'd be a totally different person. I'd probably be really boring. Really boring and really bored. Yeah. Oh, shit. You'd probably be really boring. Listen, 
I know where you live. Next time I deliver you beer, I can poison it. <laughs> oh, don't poison! Don't poison it, please. I, I like it too much. Be nice to me then. Anyway, I have, I have something I'm going to address that's in the later half of the article. But if you want to weigh in, please let me let me make some space there for you. <laughs> Carve out some space. Well, I think that. Um, one of the things this made me think of, not just because, of course, it was talking about a Harry Potter podcast, but just the way that game studies and fandom studies have that similar issue where there's just a lack of being taken seriously on so many levels. And it just makes me think of all of the work that I was doing when I was getting ready to apply to PhD programs. And I would have not my like actual advisor because she was pretty chill, but there were others who would just be like, are you really going to talk about the video game research you've done? Are you going to talk about the, the fandom research you've done? Really? Are you sure you don't want to foreground all of the work you're doing in Shakespeare studies and the stuff you're doing with this? And I'm like, why is that more valuable what makes that better? What makes that more interesting to you? I know it's not just because you're in a literature program. Like, I get that that's part of it. But still, it feels like uh, it feels like it did when I was in a creative writing major at a major Midwestern university where I wanted to write science fiction and I had to work twice as hard to get half the credit. It still feels like that. Yeah. It does. And... Uh oh, that was a big sigh. <laughs> Sometimes, um, sometimes there is uh, a lack in these areas because they are new. Mm-hmm. Um, the scholarship doesn't always know what it needs to be or what it wants to be. Mm-hmm. And the scholarship suffers as a result of it. So, I mean, the field itself doesn't doesn't do itself many favors um, in that regard. So I can understand sometimes where some of this criticism comes from. But me, I look at that, I'm like, well, game studies is pretty new, and of course it's going to have flaws. So let's make it better mm-hmm. by but doing But that's not it. just game studies. No, it's, it's many things. Mm-hmm. Right. That's when we look when we look back at the scholarship of a developing field, that's par for the course. Right. And yet when it's us, it's it's just because, you know, we're all lazy gamers who just want to write about what we play. Right. We just want to write about what we play. We just want to be touchy feely. We just want to talk about whatever. Right. We're not doing real scholarship. You know, I mean, it's why, you know, people will. Folks are still telling grad students, you know, you can't do that. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, yes, I, I know that's what you want to do. You know what? No, these grown-ass people, they can do what they want to do. Um, and, you know, we can't expect, the, like you said, we can't expect the field to grow. We can't expect the field to get better if people are not doing research in the field. I mean, we've seen, I've I've seen massive growth in what I consider uh, the viability of game scholarship in the last 17 years, right? Because some of the early stuff I was, was problematic in all different kinds of ways because it was, and, and this is interesting, because it was predominantly being written by folks who were 
already tenured because it was a safer space to write from. Um, and folks who were writing about games because it was cool or new or because, you know, their kids or grandkids or whatever were playing games. They were like, hey, there's something there. I'm going to write about this. But they weren't, you know, and I hate to say this because I don't, well, no, I don't. They weren't really gamers. Right? So the scholarship had its own problems then because for those reasons, right? And it's when we get like new folks, fresh blood, folks that like actually play games, folks that are a part of the community, folks that are invested in the work that they do, doing the work, that it gets better. Yes. Right? I mean, and see, you know, we can't just keep, see, that's the that's the thing. We can't keep writing single authored monographs for four people. We can't keep we can't keep publishing in these journals, you know, that has a circulation of, you know, whatever, a thousand copies or what have you. And then half the people that get them don't read them. <laughs> I mean, I used to get I used to get paper copies of so many journals. And honest to God, they would go right on the shelf when they came in the mail and half of them I didn't read. Uh, so, I mean, that kind of stuff, when we start talking about. When we start talking about reach, when we start talking about real impact and not these these fictionalized impact factors. When we're talking about, you know, people who we're talking about people who podcast or people who are, you know, writing in online journals and people who have their work being more freely accessible, then the impact and the reach grows. Right? I mean, and, and I'm not just talking about us and the work we do. I'm talking about the the work that a lot of people do. I'm talking about work like McGregor, right? Like her, like Witch Please. I mean, I'm sure that even though she's junior faculty and people are probably giving her much drama about doing a Harry Potter podcast, more people have heard what she has to say about Harry Potter as a work of literature than than what they have had to say about stuff for their entire careers. Yeah, you know, I'm just a little bit salty today, so. That's all right. It's reasonable <laughs> salt. Alicia, you said you wanted to say something about something later in the in the article. What? Um, yes. It's like I forgot what it was. No, I didn't forget. <laughs> there is a section. Well, she starts out talking about coolness, right? And it's working on multiple levels. So there's there's what is cool as in what everybody else does. Mm-hmm. But then there's coolness as in distance. Right? Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, as you were talking about, the the beginnings of the field and people who were not really gamers writing about like the children or whatever, I was thinking here, like, can you imagine somebody writing about Shakespeare who hadn't actually read it themselves? <laughs> like, how does that work? Let me write about your notes on Shakespeare. Um, which actually makes fascinating rhetorical analysis, but perhaps not good literary analysis. Um, So she talks about this idea of coolness and distance and and that being where so much of academic um, criticism happens. But then later she talks about this very active culture of sharing that they have 
listeners who are dedicated fans who are fact-checking them constantly, arguing their interpretations, engaging with them, and people who will call them out um, Mm -hmm. on usage of terms or enactments of certain behaviors. And, you know, of course there's a lot of criticism on the idea of call-out culture, but you know what? I think that that what we're seeing, though, in these communities, as she describes them, is everything that happens in this so-called cool academic criticism sphere, but at, like, hyperspeed. You don't have to wait two years to get someone's response after it gets written and researched and put off and, and you get back around to it, and then it goes through peer review, and you get, you get a revise and resubmit, and then finally it appears in a journal a year later. You get a response right then, and then you in turn mm-hmm. can respond, and the knowledge base grows so quickly, and people have a much better understanding after, like, you know, two months instead of two years. Why yeah, are absolutely. we so terrified of that? Maybe because they don't want to be, <laughs> they don't <laughs> want to be held accountable for. <laughs> I mean, because you know, I I tell people all the time, call, if I'm wrong, call me out. You know, and if I think I think you're wrong on calling me out, I'm going to I'll say, okay, okay, let's talk about this. I mean, but it, but it. It builds community and it allows for a kind of discussion and knowledge making that, like you said, is just not there when you're talking about the excessive turnaround time in academic publishing. And I I understand the concern that I I, I, let me finish this before you jump in, Sam, because it's going to make you mad. (laughs) Listen to my whole sentence. Uh-oh. The concern that public scholarship, with or without peer review at any level, you know, like even just somebody vetting your content, that there's some concern that this scholarship is not going to be as rigorous, uh, that it doesn't, it's not the same care, that you're putting it out quickly and you're not considering as much, you know, all of the, the various sources that could feed into what you're doing, all of the mm-hmm. arguments that could be made. Uh, mm-hmm. Sure, let's grant those. Here's the difference. There's two differences, I think, that we need to consider here. What we think of as current academic criticism, and and just the academic publishing cycle in general, comes from before the internet. Mm Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And though we have now online journals and open access journals and things that that really help uh, in terms of getting stuff out there and increasing that reach and increasing access... The model itself comes from before the internet. Now, I mean, it gets sped up a little bit because you can email things to people now for review instead of mailing it to them. But the model itself itself persists. So you do have that very slow cycle. But we're, we're writing about and researching and responding to these phenomena that are happening much, much faster than they used to. Yes. You know, one of the, we did a, an exercise. Uh, I'm in a class right now on intersectional research methods. It's very fascinating. We did an exercise uh, the other day in which we were, we're thinking about how we would approach studying the phenomenon of mass shootings, the contemporary mass shootings mm-hmm. in the United States. We're looking at the last, you know, 10 years. And we made some interesting discoveries in just doing quick data collection uh, that the, the, the cycle of conversation after a shooting is about three days. On day four everything begins to drop out of not just the news cycle, but conversation. Yes. The, uh, the Google searches, 
drop dramatically. Things mm-hmm. return to normal at that point. Yep. And by the time you can even finish researching or even even start thinking about what you want to research for the shooting, there's another one and another one and another one. Yeah. And so you can limit scope and say, I'm only going to research these three shootings and in three years I'll have an article published on that. Or you can make it an ongoing, persistent, live, public project. You can put it out there. People can send you feedback. You can change the knowledge that you are creating, and it becomes real and useful and interesting as these things are developing. Yeah. Which one of those models is better in this world? Which what's more useful? What gives us what gives us knowledge, data? When we need it, exactly. You know, I don't need to, to. We don't need this stuff in five years. We need different stuff by then. Because everything's changed. Well, everything will have changed in five years. I mean, but the, we the need research to be we able would do to... on Sandy Hook right now would not fit what we would no. research looking at. You know, the Pulse nightclub shooting or no. the concert shooting in Vegas. It's not the same. No, we need we need to know about it to to look at um, to look at history and how things evolve and to talk about projections. But it's not going to be useful in the moment. Absolutely. I mean, and all those are things that we need to to think about, things that we need to consider, right? Things that we need to work with. Um, and I and I always no no offense to Milton scholars, but I always make those jokes about about Milton and Paradise Lost, um, <laughs> because I don't know, maybe I maybe secretly I hate Paradise Lost, <laughs> um, <laughs> but I mean, so I'm, I'm so I'm going to give a different give a different topic. Uh, I mean a different example. So Taming of the Shrew <laughs> instead of Paradise Lost. And there are really only so many different ways that you can talk about Paradise Lost or Taming of the Shrew without starting to think beyond the traditional, right? So, you know, if you want to talk about, you know, how we see, you know, similarities and tropes in other kinds of media, then that's there, I mean, nobody is saying that the, that the traditional scholarship and the, tradition, the topics that are covered in traditional scholarship have to go away. No. Yeah. And, and that seems to be and that seems to be the feeling that, that people feel threatened. <laughs> people feel threatened by work that is done, you know, outside of the traditional outside of the traditional box. It's like, oh, they're, you know, they're doing games or, oh, they're doing comics or, oh, they're doing, you know, I mean, even to, to go back and say television or movies or music and all that is, you know, all that, that low, that low brow, low class, uh, you know, not high culture, low culture shit is going to replace the work that we do. No, but if you want to make the work that you do remain valid, remain important, um, remain interesting Right. To talk about to go back to that notion of interest, not only to graduate students, but to students and to the world in general. You know what? You got to connect it to something outside of shit that was written 100 years ago. Um, You know, stuff that's, you know, been covered by dead white men. You know, look at different look at different points of view Um, and 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 be okay with that. Right. 
So, you know, the, maybe the notion of what's cool changes. I hate that word. I hate yeah. that word. <laughs> I hate that word with the fire of a thousand suns. I hate when people talk, start talking about stuff being cool. No, I don't, I don't need stuff to be cool. I don't need the rhetoric of cool. No, I need shit to be real and useful. That's just another pet peeve of mine, so I ain't gonna talk about that. I mean, because I, I still can't. I mean, it's it's. I'm 17 years into to doing, you know, game study scholarship. I shouldn't still have to be, uh, you know, fighting the fight of whether or not my scholarship is actual scholarship. And yet. Mm-hmm. And yet. Right. And yet. When do we get past that? When do we get past that? Is a huge question. I mean, and all that I shit. I think the question it, is, do we get past that? Do we get past it? Right. I mean, a lot of it, like like you said, right. It's like, oh, but, you know, it's not serious scholarship. It's not well-researched. It's not, you know, it's not this, it's not that. It's just to, you know, it didn't take her five years to write that. So it must not be well-written. Right. Yeah. Um, that, that kind of bullshit. I mean, it's, it's gatekeeping. It is. It's Absolutely. gatekeeping. Um, well, especially because I feel like, and this may just be like my experience with, not your mama's gamer and with the stuff that she was writing, Gregor was writing is a lot of the people who are doing these non-traditional forms of scholarship are, you know, queer women, women and queer. people of color. People of people color. Who are yeah. Everybody who's from the margins. Look at that. I wonder why, why could it be that marginalized people are turning to different outlets? Hmm. Could there be a theme here or something that's driving people who have, like, similar issues to look elsewhere? Yeah. Let's analyze that. Let us turn our cool academic lenses upon that commonality. What could we discover? <laughs> our cool academic lenses. I don't know if any of us have a cool academic lens. What the fuck I do? <laughs> <laughs> Cool as shit. Alicia, what's her cool academic lenses? I'm not cool. I've I've come to, I've, my kid thinks I'm cool. That's good. I'm that's good enough for me. But I'm not. I play video games. I'm if, if that makes me cool, then maybe I'm cool. You know, and and maybe that's the problem, right? Is that if we are cool, then we can't be serious. At least not as academics. Oh, but men can. Yes. Oh, of course. God, yes, they can. <laughs> men can. They can be cool academics. Men can do all kinds of things that women can't do. I'm. God damn it, Lee. I'm sorry. I'm still salty about that book we had to read for Sam's class. <laughs> I'm still. Mm. I'm I'm really sad. I forgot. I'm really sad we didn't talk about that on the podcast so that I could be smugly vindicated. Look, you can be smugly vindicated now, but in a way, I do think that it's relevant because it talks about those kinds of low cultures. And Mm -hmm. um, the, the, the book Ready Player One, which I tried to like, 
I will be real. I tried very hard to like, and not because I don't trust Alicia. I trust you with my life. You're one of my best friends. But it was a sign for a class, and it's doing some interesting things. And I was like, okay, let's get into it. But the more I listened to it, because I listened to it on audiobook, the more it was screeching at me that this was self-insert fan fiction by a white guy. Mm -hmm. And that made me angry. And this is something that McGregor touches on in her article is that fandom is the province of young women, for the most part, young women and queer fans and people of color and other marginalized identities. And if you write, read, study fan fiction, you are taken less seriously just as a whole. It's, you know, playing around with someone else's toys. You're being silly. You're not making your own content. You're not doing anything interesting. Ernest Klein comes along and he writes Ready Player One, and now he's got this best-selling novel and a movie deal with Steven Spielberg. With Steven fucking Spielberg, like yeah. shit, dude. And I mean, you know, we see we we did see something similar with Fifty Shades of Grey franchise, but I think it is important <laughs> that we're back to this idea that fandom and fan fiction, in particular, being the province. Of marginalized bodies. Yep. Why? Perhaps, perhaps, there's a radical thought. It's because we don't exist. Unless you put yourself in regular media. Mm -hmm. Right. You you have to put you, you have to, it does, you do have to insert yourself there because nobody else does it, right? I started creating like what I didn't know was fan fiction when I was like 10. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, like I wanted to be Robin Hood so badly, you guys. I was so angry that I could not be Robin Hood. So I just decided that I wouldn't be Robin Hood and nobody could stop me. I was in my backyard. I could do whatever the fuck I wanted. I chopped limbs off the trees. I got in so much trouble. I made bows. Uh, <laughs> I robbed the rich. I gave to the poor. And then I became a character in Star Wars and I did all these wonderful things. And then I began to write stories and I did that. And it, it made me happy. And as a kid, I wasn't analyzing these things. Mm-hmm. But it was because I wanted to be able to see myself next to my heroes. And I couldn't do that unless I fucking did the work myself as a child. Yeah. I didn't want to be Robin Hood. I wanted to be Spider-Man. Because there you know, were I'm no... I'm sure that your hands would be sticky. And I can't do that. <laughs> Well, that's the thing is that I wanted to be Spider-Man because the only female superheroes that we had for, you know, at that time was Wonder Woman. And, you know, she didn't like she had a lasso of truth and a invisible jet. <laughs> she didn't like get to like kick people's asses mm-hmm. in the same way. Yeah. So I wanted to be Spider-Man. That's you know, I just can't have sticky hands. I'm not oh judging you. I just can't be. It doesn't come you. out of your hands. It comes out of the little thing on your wrist. So your no, hands. But you know what? Th- your hands are. I don't know if you, how, how your body is, but my hands are right there next to my wrist. <laughs> <laughs> well, fine. Maybe you would have sticky hands if you were Spider Man. Now I want to be Batman, cause gadgets, <laughs> cool ass gadgets, Batman's and you can be you can be surly. Asshole, <laughs> yeah, you can be surly as fuck, right? Right? Yes. Yeah. You can like growl at people all the time. Oh, yeah. I don't get to do that because 
<laughs> well, and I think that, you know, thinking about it, I was sitting here going, you know, who did I relate to when I was a little kid? And the thing that first jumped to my mind was Han Solo, because I was a huge, still am, a huge Star Wars geek. But then I also thought about the fact that it actually wasn't, but it was because it wasn't supposed to be, because as a transgender person who came out very late in life, it didn't feel acceptable for me to relate to Han Solo because that was too much like being a boy and I wasn't allowed to be a boy. So I went, oh, okay, I'm supposed to be into Princess Leia, right? I'm supposed to want to be her, right? I'm supposed to, you know, dress up with the cinnamon bun hair and do this. And I'm like, but I want to be a smuggler. Right? Okay, I want to do that. She was badass. Oh, yes. And I'm very happy for that. But it just makes me, and this is something that I wonder a lot, is like as a trans person who's, you know, almost 30, would I have come out earlier if there had been more transgender representation in the media that I consumed? Yeah. Would I have figured that out earlier in my life instead of when I was fucking 27 years old? Yeah. And yeah. I, Would you I have figured it out so. earlier? Yeah, would you have figured it out earlier? Would you have seen this being acceptable earlier, right? Yeah, and it's just, it's mind-boggling to me. And I do think that's very true because a lot of the friends that I have online who are also in fandom have either started working on or figuring out their trans identities much earlier. Like many of them are still, you know, in their late teens, early twenties. And they're like, yep, I figured that earlier. And it's because either they read a piece of media, you know, some sort of story where there was a trans character or, and this is extremely common, they read fan fiction that turned various characters into transgender characters, creating their own representation mm-hmm. and acting like it was both okay and normal and a possibility. Yeah. But you know what? Scholarship isn't supposed to do that. Scholarship is just supposed to have you sit in your seat and learn shit. It's not supposed to, you know, make you think uh, or <laughs> le- make you learn something about yourself or the world around you. That's not what scholarship does. Right. That's that's why it doesn't matter if we keep doing the same thing over and over again, because we can have a new take on the devil and paradise lost every, you know, couple of years, as long as you have a solid Milton scholar doing it. OK, I'm not snarky at all. Um, <laughs> but, you know, and that's the thing, right, because it, when we start getting into the work that our work should do, right? The work that our scholarship should do. I think that is another important thing when we start talking about moving outside of the traditional. Because I'm sorry, I don't want to do scholarship that doesn't add something or give something back to the world. Yes. Yes, gosh, yesterday, this week has been like, four weeks crammed into one yesterday we were talking about in class projects that we were doing for that class and uh shout out to my mafia playing community i was talking about them uh and professor asked what what is it that's driving you right now to do this project and uh and i was man i was ready to answer that one i said i want to show somebody something that Nobody's ever seen. I want to show the world something that nobody's ever been able to see because it has been gatekept and protected uh, and hidden. Mm-hmm. And there's mm-hmm. this entire flow of like design and community feedback and so much more that's happening 
with these these games created by very dedicated amateurs who are mimicking a workspace on their own time just because. And it's professional and organized, and it allows us to see the mechanisms of design that we never get to see. And mm-hmm. I get to say, look, we can see this now. It's amazing that we can understand how these things come together and how we all get to take part of them and how the creation might have an impact on what's there. Because it's obvious. Of course the creation and who it creates has an impact on the thing that's created. That's all of art and literature. <laughs> and yet we don't get to see it in games. That, that process is not visible. Because so, games are low culture. And I, well, it's not Great just that, literature. It's that, the industry prevents us from seeing it for a lot of reasons, some mm-hmm. of which are valid and some, I would argue. But I, I get to do something with this project that allows me to create a better world than the one I entered. Yes. That's yes. amazing. I am overwhelmed with the responsibility of it, but also just drunk on the idea that I can fix something that I noticed was a problem. Idea as in bourbon. (laughs) (laughs) I hate y'all. I'm all excited. I'm like passionate. Fucking gonna stand on my desk and start declaiming. Motherfuckers undermining me. Well, I think that that's one of the things that motivates me so much to study fandom spaces and fan fiction writing communities. And this is like the project that I did for Sam's class that I ended up presenting at computers and writing, where I was looking at specific instances of homophobia in the Homestuck community and how that drove people to create other writing communities that they felt safe. And it was all through meeting through hashtags. And I'm looking at this community that created its own safe space using a meta communicative tool, which is not something that you hear very much about, but it's like active community formation, active community protection, community evolution, and it's just sort of thing that people don't see very much of, but it's there, and the impact is so obvious, and so I I wrote about it, and I shared it with my friends in the community, and they were like, you know, thank you for writing this. You know, getting all of these screenshots together was a huge pain, but if you can use this for something valuable if you can do something about this, even if it's just putting the word out there, even if it's just pointing out that communities do this, then Mm -hmm. it's worth something. Then it's worth us having to put up with people saying horrible homophobic things to us on the internet. It's worth the garbage death threats and the horrible things that happen. We can maybe make something better out of it. Yeah. I mean, and, and if we can look at, you know, so oftentimes we, we start to think about, the ways messages get carried, the ways worlds get built, right? Folks want to talk about world building, right? World building is big, and I'm teaching a world building class right now. Yeah. Um, but you have folks who are like, well, we can talk about world building. We, we can read all these epics. You know, we can read Homer, and we can read, you know, <laughs> I'm not going to say it. I'm not going to say Milton. We can read... <laughs> All these epics and talk about the ways worlds get built. Yes, we can. But when we start talking about building interactive worlds, when we start talking about building worlds that we experience in a different way, we start talking about building worlds for 
for animation, when we start talking about building worlds for movies or for film, when we start talking about building worlds for games, the game changes because the way those worlds get built also changes, right? It's, it's not just the way that a world gets written. It becomes the way that you interact with that world that adds to the world building as well. It's not to say that literature is not interactive, but it's not interactive in the same way. Mm-hmm. Right? And you can't take a, and this is nobody I know, you can't take a Milton scholar and stick him in a classroom and say, okay, we're going to teach, we're going to teach 30 or 25 CGT kids how to world build for video, for video games. No, you can't, you can't unless that person also plays games because they don't know how to translate. This is important. They don't know how to translate what goes on in the literature into a discussion of video games. They don't know how to say, here's here's where we see parallels in games unless you play games. And I'm not talking about playing Candy Crush on your phone. I'm talking about real games with epic storylines. And I'm not just talking about one game with an epic storyline, <laughs> like but a number of different games. What'd you say? Nothing. I didn't say anything. <laughs> I didn't say a goddamn thing. You did too. I missed it. I'm going to have to go back and listen to it. <laughs> I coughed. Yeah, uh-huh. Lee I mean, heard me. But seriously. Lee, put it in chat for me so I can see it. I, uh-huh. I'm not getting into this. Mm-mm. Mm-mm. I'm just, I, I just work here. I'm just chilling. Just living my life. Just, just going on. I mean, all, in all seriousness, you know, and and so because because I'm I'm also teaching a tech and teaching a first year comp course. It's an online course. Um, it's a course that's that's meant for uh, like K through twelve teachers as well. Um, but to talk about we've we've been going back and looking back historically at computers and writing scholarship and the struggles that people had in terms of starting to think about how things translated when they first started using uh, computers in the classroom, right? I mean, we've had these conversations before in the field, right? So, so what's so different about having these conversations again with a different medium other than the fact that guess what? It's games. And folks want to say games ain't real games. You know, that's, that's child's play It's games, Right. But if we start talking about reach again, we're talking about games. We're talking about the fact that for several years now, games have economically outpaced everything else in terms of entertainment media. If that ain't real, I don't know what the fuck is. We can't ignore that. Right. Unless we're going to go back to trying to force, you know, into force feed knowledge, quote unquote, knowledge, scare quotes. Right. Into students heads and going back to the banking model and saying, here, sit here and learn this. Right. And don't bring anything, you know, about interactivity or world building or um, 
character or characterization or anything else into the classroom because it's not valid. Because they come into that classroom and they know more about all that shit than you than the people who ever want to give them the give them credit for. If you could just give them a way to talk about it and give them a way to say, okay, so let's talk about like connections that we see between this. I mean, if literature is your thing, then let's talk about the connections we see between this and literature. You know what? Because that's going to give them a better understanding of your content than they would get otherwise. But you're too busy telling them that's child's play and has no place in the classroom. That's bullshit. And it makes me angry. So, nah. I still want to know what Alicia said. (laughs) Did not. Oh, I'm salty and angry all the damn time these days. Yes. Yes. But then you know what? I got to say this too. Because I, I listen to a lot of podcasts. I ain't going to call nobody out. <laughs> um, And this is not anybody who might, who is probably listening to this podcast um, at this moment. But you know what really pisses me off? When we start talking about content creators, is I mean, but we got some half-ass content creators out there, right? I listen to a bunch of podcasts, and some of them I only listen to once or twice because I give you, I give you once or twice to fuck up before I be like, you know what, I'm not listening to you no more. Um, but even when you get content creators who are also doing the same thing, they're not playing the games. I understand you don't have time to play a bunch of games. You know what? But if you haven't had time to play all the newest games, don't talk about the newest games by saying, I watched a video. <laughs> because that that's that's not gonna cut it. Because oftentimes those I mean, and this may be just me being judgmental about what I hear, right? But oftentimes it's those people that be like, Well, I didn't play it, but I watched the video and here's what I thought. Those knee jerk reactions to content that they have seen and not interacted with themselves is often seriously flawed. You can't half-ass it in any way. So going back to what Alicia was saying, yeah, I see why certain, why some people may feel, uh, you know what, this is not real. But that's not that's not the content that we're creating as academics because we're taking our training as academics and bringing it to content creation um, that's outside of the traditional that's outside of the traditional scholarly content. Because I'm not going I'm not going to half ass and bullshit um, the content that I create, even if it's outside of the traditional, because that's just not the work that I do. I mean, I know people do, but that's not me. So if even if you're a content creator that's a non-academic, don't half-ass that shit. Just say, guess what? I'm not playing new games. I'm playing old games. Let's talk about these old games. Let's talk about all this great stuff that we've seen in, you know, Legend of Zelda Ocarina of Time that I've now played 37 times. Okay, you played that shit 37 times. Tell me all about it because you know all kinds of nuances about that game that I will never see because I'm not going to play that shit 37 times. I'm sure not. <laughs> 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 Oh my God, you hateful. 
you and I don't like anything other than the 8 and 16 bit Zeldas. <laughs> I like the Breath of the Wild. Yeah, that's a, that's that's cuz that's a good ass game. Okay. Let me be a hater. I will. <laughs> I, I have no choice. I'm going to I'm going to do it anyway. <laughs> I was like, I have no choice. That's not gonna change. You naturally just hate horrific, <laughs> but I love you for it though. Naturally hate horrific. If if it, it worked better than hate delicious, yeah, get naturally hate horrific tattooed on my body. Do it. Woohoo! Tattoos. They still think we need to go get the uh, Nim Gamer um, logos tattooed. I mean, at this point, I have invested more time in, in, in this endeavor than I have in any other academic endeavor, so I should... I don't feel bad about getting it tattooed on my bodies. I'm always down for a tattoo. You know, if I have money. <laughs> That's the problem. <laughs> You know they got a they got a they got a uh, they got a um, what do you call it a plasma center up in Wabash Landing. I'm not allowed to donate blood. Oh, yeah, way to right. go. Right, <laughs> for for several reasons actually. One of the weirdest ones is I, I lived in England during the mad cow disease epidemic, so they won't let me donate blood, mm-hmm. even though it's been like 12 years. And you all manners are queer, so they, they probably mm-hmm. you probably can't donate for those reasons too. Yep, yep, pretty much. They're, they're just gonna be like, Mm-mm, no, your 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 blood's too gay, obviously. <laughs> too gay. That's how that works. You all manners are queer. <laughs> yep. No, and I, noisy I, I about it. I would just like to announce that I don't know if they can make we get like a card, like the organ donation card. But I want a card that says I will accept gay blood. <laughs> I will accept gay blood, Please gay give organs. Me the gay blood. Listen, Give me I'm, all I'm, the gay tissues and fluids. Yeah. I, I got some some salty ass opinions about that, which are actually just straight up anger about that. After the Pulse shooting, I mean, people were circulating around the internet like they wanted to go and donate blood and plasma to their friends who had been affected, and but they couldn't. They couldn't. Didn't matter how much of a crisis it was; they weren't allowed. Yeah, yeah unless you could say that you had what you've been you've been abstinent for what. What is it like three years or something? It's if you're something a gay man? nuts like that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You can't donate. Mm-hmm. That's ridiculous. Yeah, I, I remember it very clearly. A friend of mine who lives in Florida was talking about it, and I remember another friend who just said, "They really just want us to die, don't they?" And it was just, it it shook me. That whole thing was, oof. So according to uh, Tiny Twitter fingers. Mike Pence wants to hang us all. Yep. You you know after this after this goes live, I'm gonna be on everybody's watch list next week, right? <laughs> uh, <laughs> woo, cause you know, uh, what's her name? The the new press secretary gonna be up on stage calling me out and telling the university that I should be fired for calling them tiny, tiny Twitter fingers. Come on, you can come up with better slash worse nicknames than that. That's hardly the oh, worst I thing. Oh, I definitely ever can. Them. I like Tiny Twitter Fingers because that shit is funny. Oh yeah, that's funny as hell. <laughs> <laughs> uh, 
anyway, any final thoughts about the McGregor piece? I, I know we have, and I'm I'm just saying the McGregor piece, and not about uh, talking about uh, the acceptance of non-standard, non-traditional scholarship, because I know we're gonna we could argue about that shit for 47 years. <laughs> At least I could. <clears throat> So I guess that makes a, a great opportunity for that to bring us to the end of episode 161. See, I got the right number that time. Mm-hmm. So that's going to bring us, I'm going I'm to ignore it. That's going to bring us to the end of episode 161. Um, so until next time when we have episode 162, and we have a good lineup for, uh, a good lineup for 162, but it's going to have to be a surprise because I don't like to tell in advance just in case. So until then, I will say to you, my friends, stay warm, stay safe, and as always, game on.